Sports Minutes with Elliot Danker and Ziaul Roshan. Money FM 89.3, another edition of Sports Minutes. I'm Elliot Danker together with Ziaul Roshan. How was the January transfer window? Wait, what transfer window? <laughs> exactly the, the, the point that you bring up, right? I used to love transfer windows, especially because I support Manchester United and boy, could we use some reinforcements. But it's been a disappointing window to say the least. So if we look at the Premier League, we're looking at what, 17 players signed only? And yeah, only right 10 permanent transfers. The oh, yeah, rest yeah. are loan deals and amounting to £50 million, which I know is still a lot of money for you and I, but in the grand scheme of things, that's very, very little. You think Spurs could have signed our guests this evening? I mean, I'm <laughs> guessing our guests this evening will hope that Spurs would have reached out to him. We, of course, have on the line James Walton, business sports business group leader with Deloitte Asia. James, great to have you with us. Hey, good evening. How are we doing today? Well, disappointed that the transfer window wasn't uh, more exciting. How, how do you feel about it? It was a bit un- underwhelming, don't you think? Yeah, I think we've the last couple of transfer windows, we've been a little bit spoiled. I mean, you look back to last January... Uh, over eight hundred million pounds was spent, which at the time, the previous record was you know four fifty. It was double the previous record. And then of course we had the summer window with the Saudi investment coming in, which just blew everyone away. And this is really after the Lord Mayor's parade, as we would say in England. It's it, it really there's nothing happening. And even now, as we go into the last day or two of the deadline, there's rumours, but. Are there any rumours that actually get you excited about this transfer might happen? Not really. It almost seems like the rumour mill is being churned for the sake of excitement in the window without actual activity. You make that reference to last year's spending and how much Saudi money came in. Let's start with that. Is it a problem that the Saudi money almost seems to have dried up this window because Saudi doesn't seem like an exciting prospect anymore? I don't think it's necessarily that Saudi doesn't seem like an exciting prospect because if the money was there, then somebody would take it. <laughs> somewhere, somebody somewhere would take it, right? I think it's a combination of things. What we usually see in transfer windows is there's always a bit of a domino effect. Somebody has to start spending the money. And if you look back to last January, you know, Chelsea were throwing money around, you know, Enzo Fernandez, all those kind of things. It was a post-World Cup window, which is interesting because you always get a bit of activity of people being excited by players who've just played at the World Cup. And then, of course, the summer, the Saudi piece kicked in. And and as the Saudi money comes in, again, to take Chelsea as a case in point, the money that they received from Saudi for players that they didn't want anymore, then fueled the spending spree. And when they then spend that money, then the teams they spend it with need to buy replacements for those players. And, and, And it just creates this kind of virtuous circle if you consider transfers to be virtuous um but that just simply hasn't happened and that's been compounded by some other issues for example the impact of the profit and sustainability rules um kicking in as well as the the impact of the spending patterns in prior years given that those rules kick in over a three-year period Mm, you took the words right out of our mouth we wanted to bring up those rules I guess, would it be fair to say, looking back, clubs have reinforced themselves poorly by overpaying or, and taking advantage of the money that's been available, and maybe they might suffer going forward? Yeah, so these these rules, just so everyone's on the same page, right? We used to call it FFP, now we're supposed to call it PSR, right? Profit and Sustainability. But 
the nature of these rules is they work on a rolling three-year period, which means if you have an excessive spend in one year in that period, it, it has a knock-on effect for a couple of years. And in fact, the reason why Everton are now facing a second potential points deduction is because they had a failure in an earlier year, and now effectively they're getting a double jeopardy on that same failure. Newcastle, for example, had something like a £70 million loss last year. And within the rules, even if you have the full capital injection from your owners, uh, which they haven't fully yet, then they would only be allowed a total loss of 105 million, which means over the next two years, their losses have to be less than 35 or so million. And hence, they are in the position that they are in at right now. And that's just the Premier League rules. The UEFA rules are even more stringent. And there are new rules coming in in the next two years yeah. around squad uh, squad cost which will be even more stringent and which most of the Premier League teams don't meet. So I don't think it's just about the last year or two in the spend. I think everybody's also got one eye on the fact that as the rules are getting stricter and stricter in the coming years, they need to get their house in order first. So here's a term I haven't used since COVID-19, actually. Is this the new normal then, James? <laughs> uh, hard, hard to say. Before... Saudi Arabia came into the equation, I may have been tempted to say a little bit of yes, because as I say, the new rules that are coming in uh, that they call squad cost limits, which currently your squad cost in terms of wages, fees, compensation, all that needs to be less than 90% of your revenue. Mm. Uh, currently, Arsenal are 79%, Chelsea are exactly 90%, Man United are 86 but from 25-26, the ratio will be 70%, which oh. means those three teams will have to reduce their wage bills or, the, or their transfer spending accordingly, and other teams will have to come in line. There are some teams in the Premier League whose wage bill is over 100% of their income, which is just not sustainable. So if, this, if there is no outside injection into this ecosystem, then the European clubs cannot pay the wages and fees that Premier League teams want to sell their players. And the Premier League teams are going to tighten their belt because they become a circuit, uh, you know, internal mm. system there. Mm. Mm. There's only two things that can really change that. One is commercial rights going up, TV rights going up with a new deal. Um, or the other is an outside injection, whether that be from Saudi Arabia or in the case of the French League, perhaps from a private equity firm in the, in the short term. But if that doesn't happen, then yeah, the next year or two could be like this. James, just to follow up on that, uh, this is a semi-sports, semi-economics question. Now, if I am a youth player in one of these big teams, I may not understand the financial implications, but should I look at this as, hey, maybe I have a chance now? And if I'm an agent of a youth player in one of these big teams, is this an opportunity? Depends which team you're at, right? Because if you're sat at, if you're sat at Liverpool right now, for example or Manchester City, or even Newcastle, you look at someone like Lewis Miley, okay. then yes, you're getting chances mm. because when there's a few injuries, clubs are less willing to go out and sign someone to cover the fact that they have a short-term injury or an AFCON absence, Asian Cup absence, something like that, and the players are getting the chance. But if you're with Chelsea, it's the opposite. They're going to sell you. And the reason is because the way that these rules are calculated... Let's say I buy a player for £50 million 
and he has a five-year contract, his his value will amortize over those five years, ten million a year down until his contract runs out. And at the moment I sell him, you basically do an offset between mm. the amortization and 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 the cost to see what profit you're actually making. But if you take a youth team player who never cost you any money, who came through your academy system, and you sell him, the full value of what you sell him for counts towards your FFP or PSR regulations. And that's why this rumor about, for example, Conor Gallagher going to Tottenham mm. will not go away. Because if Conor Gallagher were to sell a Christian Pulisic-type player, you know, Kai Havertz like they sold to Arsenal... Mm. The actual amount they bank from an FF point of, FFP point of view is not a lot. But if they sell oh. Conor Gallagher, the full value becomes profit. Yep. And hence, they've sold off all these youngsters in the last couple of years. Ah. James, that's tremendous insight into the inner workings of FFP or PSR. So it seems like we won't be hearing here we go as often anymore. <laughs> I want to ask you as a fan... Is this football's own doing? Is this good for football in that sense where it's time they leveled the playing field using these checks and balances? Again, it depends if your team was one of the ones that managed to be above the playing field before it got leveled <laughs> or not. Because a lot of Newcastle fans, for example, mm. um, have been quite upset about the fact that they've got this injection, mm. but they basically can't spend this injection. Even though they have the richest owners in world football, the Premier League rules at the moment say that as a team, your loss can only be £15 million above your revenues in a three-year period, combined in a three-year period. But if your owner injects uh, up to another £30 million a year then, and, and basically buys equity, then that backs it up. And that allows you to take your loss up to £105 million, mm. which was why I was mentioning earlier, they're about £70 million loss. They have a bit of a, a bit of a problem. But they're looking at Man City and Chelsea and saying, well, before these rules came in, you guys were doing all this kind of stuff and that you are successful because you were able to throw all that money around before the rules got tightened up and your club is where you are today because of that. So there are smaller teams that feel that actually what you haven't done is leveled the playing field. What you've actually done is you've put an obstacle, mm. a barrier to entry, which means that even if a billionaire comes in tomorrow, they can only put in £30 million a year, then you are not able to transform a team to challenge, to compete with the established powers. And all you've done is you've locked in, cemented in the existing hierarchy. Okay, uh, James, let's move on to talk a little bit about the recently released Deloitte Football Money League list. Uh, Real Madrid dethrone Manchester City. Um, despite the fact that uh, Pep's team won the treble. How much does this have to do with history? It's actually a lot to do with history. I mean, the reality is as much as we say City were dethroned, City actually had the highest ever revenues. It was higher yeah. than their revenues the year before when they were number one. The difference here is actually the, the rebound of the Spanish League because don't forget the Spanish rebound after COVID yes. came after the Premier League. Yes. They, they did not allow fans in the stadium for quite a while afterwards. Yes. So what we're seeing is Real Madrid seeing an attendance boost and a retail boost that is effectively post-COVID. And in fact, Barcelona, who are slightly lower down the list, we see the same thing happening as well. So I don't think it's an issue for, for City. I don't think this is a title they particularly care about winning at this point in time. The thing they, they're more interested in is the fact that their match day revenues mm. 
are significantly lower than many of their rivals. I mean, if you even take Tottenham, Tottenham mm-hmm. take over 100 million pounds in match day revenues and Manchester City are nowhere near that. And wow. the reason is because the nature of the Etihad Stadium and what it came from, it is not constructed to have the right yeah. kind of executive boxes yeah. Yeah. and things like that. So that will be more of a worry for them will be how can they drive that match day income? Because until they can do that, they can't increase the overall revenues of the club. I see what you did there, James. Subtle Spurs flex. <laughs> there, I'll let you have it. I, one more thing that stood out from this money list for me is Liverpool dropping from third to seventh. Should fans, Liverpool fans, be worried, especially with the news of Klopp's departure? How are they going to be equipped to go out and get the best if they're not making so much money? I think it's good practice for them to be dropping from third to seventh, right? They, they need to be getting used to it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's a temporary blip. Again, you have to look at these situations like, again, to mention Tottenham, right? They moved ahead of Chelsea and Arsenal in the money league. Part of that is those commercial revenues. Partly is because they're in the Champions League. But now this season where they have no European football, we'll see a significant drop because you're not having match day revenues. You're not getting the commercial income. You're not getting the prize money that comes from European football. So Spurs will see a drop when this season comes into the equation. And in Liverpool's case, 2021-2022, they got to three finals. They were, what, second in the league. Um, Whereas last year, they only got to the last 16 in the Champions League. Mm. They were fifth in the league. So... The Champions League money in particular, a good run in the Champions League will lift you a place or two. And that's what they're lacking. So I think I wouldn't be worried if I were them. If they if they keep qualifying for Champions League, their position will come back up. All right. We've been speaking with James Walton, sports business group leader with Deloitte Asia. James, as always, we appreciate your time. Have a good day ahead. Hey, thank you, guys. Take care. Sports Minutes on Money FM 89.3.